have just one question tonight, and it won't take up the entire time, but it will take a few minutes. And um, <clears throat> this question came about back on Wednesday nights when we were looking at the uh, video series that Brad Herb had put out. And, of course, it was a, uh, a series on Christian apologetics or Christian evidences. And um, <clears throat> I have been asked to explain what theistic evolution is. Theistic evolution. And I don't know how many of you are familiar with this particular term, but it's something that's becoming more and more prevalent in the church as far as a belief that uh, a Christian may hold these days. Uh, theistic evolution uh, basically sounds, is what exactly what it sounds like. It takes the Greek word for God, theos, and uh, combines it with the English word evolution, and you come up basically God's evolution. God's evolution. And the premise behind this particular idea is that God used evolution to create the world. He was the creator. It takes care of the idea of where did, where did the matter come from, but that God used evolution in order to create the world. Now, the reason why this has come about is because of the fact that evolution is being pushed more and more into our schools. Scientists more and more claim that Evolution is not a theory. It is indeed a fact, though it's never been proven. And simple scientific hypothesis tells you um, that in order for something to be proven as a fact, it has to be proven. It can't just simply be a theory and say it's a fact. There has to be some way of proving that particular hypothesis. And, but yet, still, it's been drilled into our heads, starting in elementary school, and certainly if we go to a state-run college, uh, you're considered foolish, you're considered dumb, you're considered uneducated if you do not believe in evolution. So even good Christian men who I respected in the past, um, I remember when I was in school there was a, a, a guy, uh, well, I'll just tell you his name, John Willis, who wrote a commentary on the book of Genesis. He's a professor over at Abilene Christian University. And in the preface of this particular book, a commentary on Genesis, he set forth the ideas of theistic evolution. Now, these weren't his ideas. He was just re-echoing what others had already said. Uh, but my point is that some of this stuff is even being taught in our Christian universities. Um, but the whole premise behind all this is the idea that you wanted to keep God because you're a believer in God and you wanted to believe in the, in the Genesis account, but yet at the same time, you did not want to be considered foolish or uneducated or unscientific. So you had to come up with something that would blend the two together where basically you could have your cake and eat it too, if you will. You could claim to be a believer in God, but also appear to be smart and believe in evolution. It was the blending of the two together where you could have both religion and you could have quote-unquote science. And so theistic evolution came up with the idea that when you read Genesis chapter 1, that what you're actually reading there is not a day-by-day -day account, but each day represents eons of time. In fact, there are some who have tried to divide the different periods that the evolutionists uh, take, such as uh, the Jurassic period, and I can't remember the Proezoa period and all the different periods there were, and you've probably seen the different tables and the different layers, and they try to um, paste in day one and day two and day three of creation. And they say that actually what took place here in Genesis chapter one is the idea that these are long eons of time, 
which gave time for uh, that amoeba to evolve into uh, an insect, and that insect evolved into a, a fish, and that fish evolved into a bird, and, and that evolved into a horse. And you, know, you know how evolution works. And God did that um, in Genesis chapter 1, and the account is more of a fable than it is the idea of what's actually taking place here. Well, the problem with Christians believing in theistic evolution is the fact that you actually believe in something that is completely false. That's completely false. And I've had opportunities many, many years ago when I was preaching in Knoxville, Tennessee, we had a young man visiting with us that was a student at Abilene Christian University. And, of course, I was already familiar with what was being taught over there, so I just asked him. I said, is this being taught in your Genesis class over there? And he says, yes. And I said, do you believe it? And he says, yes. And we had a long discussion about this, and I don't know if I changed his mind or not, but I tried to get him to understand that you can't have it both ways. Uh, God either created the world the way that he said he did in the Bible or else nothing in the Bible is true. Uh, evolution is something that has never, ever been proven. It's all based on assumptions. It's all based on circular reasoning and other things. And it's wrong for us to discount God and say God could not be powerful enough, that God is not almighty enough, that he could not create the world in the exact same way that the Bible tells us he does in Genesis chapter 1. But one aspect of this that it all hinges on, here is the thing that is, connects it all together. And if you ever get rid of this connection, then theistic evolution falls flat on its face and has no validity whatsoever. And it's the idea, and this is stated even in John Willis's book, the idea behind the day-age theory. The day-age theory. That one day, as I've already mentioned, equals millions of years, eons of time. And that way you can have God becoming the instrument behind evolution, and God using evolution to create this world. And the premise behind the day-age theory, of course, is that the days that we read here in the Bible aren't actual days. Well, let's look at this for a few moments and think about that from a logical standpoint and from a, a biblical standpoint. If you will, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And I want to point out uh, two things in this particular section, and we'll move over to the book of Exodus. The first thing I want you to notice how that when you read the first uh, five verses of the book of Genesis, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from darkness. And he called the light day, and he called the darkness night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, we understand and appreciate the fact, when we're old enough to have the cognitive ability to tell the difference between day and night, we understand that a day consists of a time of sunlight, and a day consists of time of darkness. Here in the very first Words we read in the Bible, God set this standard for us for a 24-hour day when he separated the light and called it day and separated the dark and called it night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Uh, one of the reasons why the Jewish people, uh, even to this day, mark their time period, not like we do, 
at 12 o'clock midnight as being midnight and 12 o'clock being noon and how that midnight is nighttime and that's when the new day starts around again is because of the fact they believe that God wanted us to keep time by the idea of the fact that once it got dark, that's when the day started. We think about our day starting in the morning when the sun comes up with the sunrise. But since the text says here that the evening and the morning were the first day, they marked their beginning of their day around 6 p.m. in the uh, evening to mark another day has begun because that's the way that God marked another day beginning. Now, that doesn't matter to us as far as keeping time, but yet we still understand and appreciate the fact that there's 24 hours in a day, and that's laid out here in this particular text. But another thing that's very important in the text, if you look at the word day, in fact, if you look at the word day all throughout the book of Genesis, in fact, throughout the Bible, uh, there's one or two exceptions to this in prophetic literature, but there's never an exception to it when a number appears before it. But the Hebrew word for day is the word yom, Y-O-M, yom. And basic Hebrew grammar tells you that the word day, yom, means a 24-hour period. It specifically means it when a number appears before it. And so you have the idea here that, first of all, God gave us the designation of how long this took. Either there was a long millions of year period of night and then there was a long millions of year period of day and then the second day of creation we had the same thing going on again, a long period of night and then a long period of day and then that's how things were created. But no, God very clearly says that there was a a night and a morning and that was the first day. And the actual word itself, yom, means a 24-hour day. Period. But we know this is what the Jews understood, and we know this is what God meant. When we turn over to uh, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11. So turn over there with me, if you would, please. Exodus chapter 20. And let's begin with let's begin with verse 8. Here Moses had been given the Ten Commandments, and he is, is re-emphasizing about the Sabbath day. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But on the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy man." Uh, maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within the gates. Now we'll stop there just for one second. The word here for day, Sabbath day, Sabbath yom, six days, there's the word yom again. But the seventh day, there's the word yom there again. Then you get to verse 11, and it says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens... The heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, all them in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, when the Israelites heard this commandment of, from Moses that was given to him by God, what came to their mind immediately? Well, the creation came to their mind. 
In fact, it says right here in the text, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth. And immediately, what did they think? Well, you know what? That lasted for millions and millions of years. So that means I can work for millions and millions of years, but the day is coming after many millions of years that i got to spend millions of years resting. They know that. Obviously, they didn't think that. Because after this commandment was given, what did they start doing? They would work for six days, six 24-hour period, six yams, and then on that seventh day, they rested for 24 hours. In other words, they understood that when God gave this, this command, which is patterned after creation, they understood that creation took place in six 24-hour periods, not millions and millions and millions of years. Also, and I think Brad Hare brought this out, if I remember in one of the videos that we saw, maybe I didn't see it in the video, I've heard him say it some other time. But you also got a problem just from the sake of, of the world being created from a scientific standpoint that these days cannot be millions of years. And like I said, this may be something that's, that um, is just refreshing your memory because you heard uh, Brother Hare uh, bring it up. But if the days of creation were long periods of time, the problem you have is how would the plants that depend upon insects for pollination have survived those epic long days that the evolutionists claim or the theistic evolutionists claim uh, took place on this earth? In other words, if you understand uh, botany, you understand that in order for uh, plants to reproduce, they need to have some type of vehicle to carry uh, their pollen to another plant so they can reproduce. And, of course, the main way that happens is by uh, insects, mainly bees. And so if there were no insects, uh, for example, on day... Um, on day three, the plants were created, and on day five, the insects were completed. That means you had a period of maybe three million years before insects showed up on the planet. How in the world could those plants survive? Now, keep in mind that the whole basis of evolution is survival of the fittest. Only the strong survive. And therefore, it blows that particular premise out of the water, saying... How in the world would these plants survive without these insects to pollinate them? They would have died and not existed any longer because they had no way to reproduce themselves. They had no way to make themselves strong. The only other premise you could come up with was that plants uh, were strong enough and could reproduce themselves in the evolutionary cycle, but instead, after those insects showed up, they de-evolutionized and became weaker and became dependent upon insects at that time. And that flies right in the face of what evolution is all about. So we see strictly from a scientific standpoint, there's no way in the world that day three could be billions of years and day four be billions of years. And then finally, insects show up on day five, the next eon of time. But I think the strongest answer we have to theistic evolution is from the words of Jesus Christ himself. Let's open our Bibles to the New Testament. And I want us to look at Mark chapter 10 and verse 6. Here is a discussion about divorce. But 
point I want you to see when he is answering these scribes about divorce. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, but from the beginning of creation, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. If these days were vast eons of time, that means that um, mankind, of course, are uh, very newcomers to this planet. They hadn't been around very long. But yet at the same time, it defies into what Jesus said. Jesus said mankind was there at the very beginning. In fact, if you take up the number of hours between God created the earth and the time that mankind showed up on the scene, mankind is only 96 years younger than the rest of the world. In other words, God created this world, and 96 hours later, mankind was on this planet. And I believe that because Jesus says that mankind there was at the beginning. But I want to show you one other passage. This passage is from the Apostle Paul over in Romans chapter 1, where Paul was making the argument, as you've heard us make a couple Sundays ago with a question that was turned in, how that all mankind is without excuse when it comes to knowing about God. And, of course, the passages that, they, that he uses here are passages to support the fact that you can look at the creation around you and understand and appreciate there is a God because of the creation. But notice what he does in verse 20. Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. He says, For the invisible things of him from the creation, from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Well, folks, think about that passage just for a moment. Paul is making the premise that mankind is without excuse when it comes to knowing about God. And he uses as his basis the idea that mankind saw creation. He says, for the invisible things, talking about of him, talking about the power of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Now, if mankind didn't come on the face of the earth for millions and millions and millions of years, there are no way in the world they could have seen the creation of the world and have it clearly seen. The whole purpose of the creation and the whole point that he's making in this passage is the power of God. In fact, he says, by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Now, I dare say, because of the fact that evolution is so pressed upon our young people today, both in public schools starting in elementary and moving on up, and especially in some of our universities, that more and more men and women are going to have to make a compromise in their mind and not totally reject God and at the same time not totally reject evolution and try to come up with a happy medium and thus they'll fall under this idea of theistic evolution. But folks, my problem with theistic evolution, first of all, it has no validity as far as fact is concerned, but secondly, it discounts the power of God. Thirdly, it does away with what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1 and turns it into something that's not true. 
As far as I'm concerned, if the Bible is going to lie to us in Genesis chapter 1, in the very first couple verses we read, how do we know anything else in the Bible is true? If the very first words that appear in our Bible are not really what they are supposed to be, in fact, they represent something else, then why do we have a Bible at all? Why don't we just make up our minds to do whatever we want to do, worship in any way that we can, believe anything we want to believe, and just simply call it religion. Just calling a compromise with a high-sounding name like theistic evolution doesn't make it right. I firmly believe that God created the world in six days, and he rested on that sixth day. And he created those things within a 24-hour period. The reason why I know he can do that because he is God Almighty. He does not need thousands and millions and billions of years for things to evolve into what he wanted them to be. He could simply speak the word, and it was the case. And every time he spoke the word, the result was, and it was good. If you have a need this evening, won't you come as together we stand and sing?